Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 412. Is the Saudi Golf League missing the cut? Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. So Eddie, I think we actually kind of had pretty similar weekends. I got crapped on in my first ever semi-pro roller hockey tournament, and you got outdrank by one of the uh, one of the craziest people in Paris. I don't know if he outdrank me. He definitely outlived me. And I mean that in terms of just his, his enjoyment for the evening. I don't know if he outdrank me in the end. But yeah, our mutual friend Tim rarely makes an appearance in terms of the social scene. He had quite a big night out on Saturday. Um, we were in one of the usual bars we go to, Bugsy's, and he, for whatever no free reason, ads. yeah, no free ads. But do <laughs> if you're in Paris, stop by. They'll they'll treat you well. Say you're a friend of the podcast, they'll treat you well. But he he uh, after the the Premier League matches were on the channel that it was on, just switched to. WWE and as you oh, know God. <laughs> Tim Tim certainly was at some point in his life a huge WWE fan. I think he might still secretly or not so secretly be a big WWE fan. He was getting pretty into watching it. There are these three Dutch guys on vacation or on a work trip who were sitting next to him who were then amused by how into it Tim was. They then asked Tim, they're like, "You guys are American? Like how long have you been here?" Like, why are you here? And he said, I've been stuck here since 1998, ever since The Undertaker threw mankind off of the, t- off of the top of the cell in Hell in the Cell. <laughs> I've been stuck in Paris ever since. <laughs> then he proceeded. Oh, God. <laughs> he then proceeded. <laughs> he then proceeded to pull some wrestling moves on them, which I was very worried that the situation was going to I knew that was coming. I knew, I knew you were going to say he started to like, manhandle them i knew this was coming (laughs) and they weren't small guys you know dutch guys are pretty big good dudes and he was just but just like hadn't talked to them before right this is like they just started getting into this conversation it wasn't as if you guys have been talking for hours so by the time he was pulling the wrestling moves it's not as if he had just started talking to them but he hadn't been speaking to them for long he also gave no warning that at one moment he was about to stick one of them in a headlock (laughs) He just started, and then pretending to slam their heads on the bar, he pulled that a few. He pulled that a few, a few times, and and then he would, and also he would just switch between like just watching the TV and speaking to us, then turn to his left and then pull a wrestling move on one of them. At one moment, one of them asked him because he was really into the the wrestling that was on the TV. At one moment, he, one of them asked him if he knew it really wasn't real. He kind of just said, "What do you mean?" and stared at him. <laughs> So good. Oh, I could picture this so perfectly. Oh, it cracks me up. You know, it always disappoints me because I'll never forget once um, Tim had his child. I sent him that video of the guy who was like pulling the wrestling moves on his young kid, you know, on the bed and stuff. And they look really good. I was always disappointed that Tim didn't try and one up that video. and Like drop his son off like a top rope or something. Oh, there's still time. Uh, there is still, still time. He's still young, I guess. Yeah, there's uh, plenty but, of years for him to make to make headlines as you know 
dad <laughs> injures child trying to mimic wrestling moves. <laughs> trying to double suplex. Oh, that is classic, Tim, though. Oh, that is so funny. He gets so into WWE. And it's just funny because, like, I mean, okay, we're, we're obviously talking about a person that no one else would know besides a very small people. But just to give some background, he has a very good selective memory. And I wouldn't doubt he could name you everyone who's won WrestleMania and Royal Rumble in like his glory years of watching it from the 90s and well, the this early was, 1000s, for sure. This was part of my issue is because obviously what we were watching was, I think, from probably the week before. You know, it was a replay of the previous Saturday's WWE event. What amazed me, and this is what makes me, Tim claims he doesn't still watch the WWE, but he knew exactly who everyone was. And then he was giving me their He just backstory. reads it on Reddit, I'm sure. Pro- probably. But he was giving the backstory. I mean, a lot of them are children of former, like in the format it was, a lot of them were children of former WWE stars. So for starters, he was kind of running through all of that. Ronda Rousey was on it. So he was speaking about Ronda Rousey. Um, it was interesting. But yeah, I mean, his memory for stuff like that is insane. I mean, I also give him credit, just the instant pull when the guy was like, why, you know, why are you in Paris? And just, I've been stuck here ever since, ever since the Undertaker threw mankind off the top of the cage and hell in the cell in 1998. <laughs> like, just the fact that that was an instant <laughs> reference for him, it's kind of crazy. That's so good. Oh, that's funny. Oh, it sounds like a good time. It was fun. Yeah, he was on very good form. It was a little bit of a throwback to a, a version of Tim that kind of doesn't exist anymore. But, you know, parenthood has probably mostly removed that from his DNA. But it's still there. It's hiding there. And every once in a while it emerges. So that was my weekend. I think your weekend maybe a little bit less enjoyable from from what I understand. You had a... A rough, re- rough weekend out on the rink. Oof. Yeah. First, first, I, I don't know. It's called semi-pro hockey. Well, roller hockey, obviously. But they're calling it that because they have a pro league. And most of the teams in the pro league have like a B team. So the, I guess they made the division below and just ranked it as a semi-pro where, where teams could play kind of their B team in. Um, and... There's a Southwest division and Tucson has a team in it now. And they created this team. The people who created it, not to be mean, but are nowhere near the level of the quality of hockey being played here. I mean, not even, not even, nowhere near. It's, it's, it baffled me when I finally played and saw how good the teams were, that these were the players that wanted to play in this league. So they've been slowly recruiting the better players in Tucson to play, and a few of them couldn't make it. So then they called the second best players, the second grouping, which I think I kind of fall into, where I'm not the elite level. I'm not of the top five or ten, but I'm probably right below that. Um, so I played with them, and it was, yeah, we lost. It's two 12-minute periods, and we lost seven to two, ten to nothing, um, six to nothing, or no, six to one and five to four. And the five to four was frustrating because we were actually up four, three with three minutes left and we gave up the lead. And then with a minute left, we had a really good chance to score and they made a nice play. And then there was a fight 
in front of the goalie and our player knocked over the only female playing on the team. And then the goalie tried to interject and then he punched the goalie in the face and knocked his helmet off. And then, and then another player tried to come after him, but he's about three times the size of this like player who came after him. And the player ran away from him, which was the most amusing part of the tournament, watching this kid try to go after someone and then realize he's going to get crushed and run away from the player uh, was pretty good. But then the our guy got thrown out and we had a penalty. So with the last minute of the game, we're on a penalty kill, and that's obviously not going to be conducive to scoring. So... Um, are fights common but yeah. in roller hockey? Um, well, not normally. Um, in the tournaments, they are a little more because you don't know anyone. You know, when you're playing in house leagues and rec leagues, it's usually just the players that are annoyed with one another or just don't like each other, aren't friends. They might occasionally fight. But for the most part, in, in the league I play in in Tucson, one game out of the 70 games in the season between all the teams, there might be like a fight. Um, they're not super aggressive. I've seen one good fight, like just straight flip the helmets off and we're punching. That's about the only one I've seen. Um, this one really wasn't a fight. It was kind of just, he punched one guy in the face with a helmet and pushed another, pushed a girl. <laughs> And then as he got thrown out, the team was saying, if, if he does that to her, imagine what he does to his wife. Oh, <laughs> so <no>. good. <laughs> they were like, he must beat his wife. <laughs> oh. Like, oh, my God. Wow. And then he turned around. The best part was he heard it and turned around and he said, he's like, you got it wrong, buddy. My wife beats me every Friday. <laughs> I don't know that's if that's a good, good comeback. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was just funny because they didn't the know how to re- respond to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did not know how to respond to that. It's it's a good de-escalation, but yeah. Okay. And what, so, cause you've told me it was semi-pro, the semi-pro tag kind of confused me a bit. So is there prize money up for grabs or is it literally just, it's the step below the pro level? In, it's a step below the pro level. It's just, you know, just playing and having fun um, and kind of, I guess, bragging rights a little bit but the pro level does have have prizes and things like that so yeah um, and then the next tournament is in california so i don't know if i'll be attending that one i don't know if it's worth a seven hour drive to lose and i'm sure the california teams are better because that's probably where roller hockey is the most prominent is in california um so i don't know if going to california to lose 16 to 1 to a team is really worth going to <laughs> I mean, I love to play hockey and I'll play no matter what. And that's, but that's a, that's a major financial and time commitment to just getting demolished. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tougher, that would definitely be a tougher sell. Now, I guess switching from our weekends to maybe one of the few people out there in the sports world who probably had a tougher weekend than you, which is uh, Phil Mickelson. I don't know how closely you followed it, but. He has been pushing hard for the the Saudi the proposed Saudi Gulf League, and uh, things started to not. I'm not going to say fall apart because so there are some indications pointing to the fact that the Saudi Gulf League may still take a pl- take place, and there, and there might be more golfers interested in it than it appears. But Phil Mickelson, who's been pushing hard for it to occur, then sort of switched tact when it looked like a few of the more prominent golfers who might be involved in the Saudi golf league decided that they weren't going to be involved. Notably, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson came out with public statements 
this weekend saying that they would not, that they're sticking with the PGA. Interestingly, Dustin Johnson's was released by the PGA on behalf of Dustin Johnson, which was a kind of a weird move. But now is the, is the Saudi league, is it all year? So the Saudi golf league, it's not the only proposed sort of breakaway league uh, out there, but it's the one that appears to be having had to have the most traction and certainly the largest financial backing uh, that it's back, you know, it's, it's the investment arm of the Saudi government, the PIL, the same group that invested in Newcastle United not too long ago is the one with the financial backing behind this. Greg Norman is the CEO of the company that's been sort of made responsible for the organization and the running of the league. The idea basically is that they want to get around 40 of the world's top golfers to play in a year round league, which would be a complete shift away from what the existing golf PGA format looks like. So instead of having sort of a tournament on a weekend with four rounds, you, there's a cut after the first two rounds. And if you, you know, it's weekend over and it's all about winning that week, they want to shift it to kind of weekly fixtures so that every golfer would play every round and it's a league table. So in a sense, nothing to be won on a weekly basis, although I'm sure there's prize money that would be put up, you know, individual challenges. Fundamentally, the focus would be on your standings from a league perspective. So kind of taking what they do with the FedEx, so, FedEx Cup. Like a FedEx Cup? Yeah, but... But better, but like more, I don't know, I guess better. Yeah, now the downside to it is the PGA has obviously come out... Ever since there was talk of breakaway leagues, they've come out pretty adamantly saying, look, you, you got to choose one or the other. You can either be... You can't in, come back? Like, if you do one, you can't do the other again? I think you might be able to come back. But the, the issue would be is you can't, for example, say, well, I'm gonna, for half the year, I'm going to be in the Saudi league. But then when the Masters roll around, I want to play in the Masters. They've basically said, no, 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 no. No Ryder Cup, no Masters, no nothing. All of the big tournaments that you think would lure you in, you, you can't you can't pick and choose what you want to do. You're either a PGA player or you're not, and it's caused a significant amount of division amongst the golfing world from a professional standpoint. Because basically, what the Saudi Golf League has come out and done is offered everyone a ton of money. So they're offering golfers, you know, anywhere from sort of twenty to supposedly, I think the offer on the table for Bryson DeChambeau was in something like two hundred million dollars to sign up. But they're offering wow, them, yeah. They're offering them $20 million signing bonuses for players who are not really winning anymore on the PGA. They're just trying to get no, you know, supposedly, I think Ian Poulter is going to be part of it. He is one of the names that's reported to still be interested. I think he has a signing bonus that's being, again, reported of around $30 million. Wow. Even for him, that's crazy. I mean, we do underestimate how much golfers make. You know, it's that, it's that crazy thing that he will be churning out a decent amount of prize money over the course of a season between the European Tour and the PGA. Because even if he's not winning tournaments, he is getting top 10 finishes at pretty big tournaments from time to time. So it's interesting. There's been some within the golf world who have been staunch opponents. Rory McIlroy, notably being one, he's kind of come across a little bit as the poster boy for the PGA. So he's come out repeatedly and said that he has no interest. John Rahm said no. John Rahm said he doesn't play golf for the money. He plays golf because he wants to play golf against the best golfers in the world. The kind of money is a is a secondary benefit, but it's his passion for golf. Easy. 
Needed to say, when, to say when you're making tons of money. When you've made over like what seventy five million in earnings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's very easy when the money's rolling in to say that the money is not a primary concern. But yeah, Rory McIlroy's basically said similarly. You know, it's about his legacy and about competing against the best golfers is his interest. And I can understand. I can believe that spin. The idea that you got into golf to play, you know, like winning multiple majors and going down as one of the greatest golfers of all time. How are you going to be able to do that if you compete in a Saudi golf league that even if it's kind of successful might not exist 10 years from now? Because um, Justin Thomas came out and was very critical of Phil Mickelson. So basically over the weekend, Phil Mickelson, I think once he realized that there might be a little bit of not as many top of the world's top golfers were going to commit to this as he maybe thought at some point, he came out and basically said that he had only got involved in the Saudi Gulf League to use it as leverage to force the PGA to make changes that he wanted to see. In response to that, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, and a number of other big golfers and came out and basically said, what an egotistical statement from Phil Mickelson to think that he's in a position <laughs> where he kind of gets to make changes to the golfing world. I saw Billy Horschel, who's kind of whatever position he holds in terms of representing the players gets to gets access to some of the numbers behind the PGA that others don't because one of Phil Mickelson's accusations is that the golfers are kind of underpaid based on the revenue that the PGA makes. He basically came out and said that's nonsense and Phil Mickelson wouldn't know anyway because he doesn't ha- he's not privy to any of this information. It's it's a bad look for Phil Mickelson and it's a bad look for, you know, someone towards the back end of his career. You kind of could leave a lasting taste in people's mouths. And again, a guy who's made an absolute ton of money as well. It's not as if he's in a position where he should feel as if I can understand wanting one last big payday because he's probably not going to get many on the PGA itself. But it's just not a great look. And, you know, Tiger Woods has said he's not interested in being involved. Brooks Kepka is not interested in being involved. The interesting thing is that the, basically the Saudi Golf League, I think they're aiming for 48, I think, but certainly 40 is a minimum, golfers to participate. They basically said they'll officially announce the launch of the league once they have 20 golfers completely signed up. Now, based on some indications that are coming out, it appears like they might have hit that 20 golf threshold. So that's 20 of the world's top 100 golfers is what they were aiming for. And now they're saying that they might make an announcement in the next sort of four weeks about the dates. It's been interesting to watch because there's been players then like Adam Scott who have said that, hey, this is good because so much of the golfing world is focused on the US. You know, you, you have the European tour and you have other tours, but fundamentally, you know, the be all and end all of making money and winning major tournaments aside from the British Open in golf is going to the US. He's said that as a non-American he thinks moves like this are good because it might shift some of the focus in golf away from the U.S. Again, I can understand that this is an opportunity maybe for the golfers to make some points about the way in which the PGA could be improved. But I, personally, I think it's kind of a shame. I don't, I don't really have a big interest in watching. I definitely don't have an interest in watching a golf league. I don't see why that would be entertaining in any way, shape, or form. It's kind of like the FedEx Cup, and people really don't give a crap about the FedEx Cup. It's like one of the most, I mean, it's slightly exciting, but at the same time, it's really not at all. It's not as if anyone is going into, let's say, I don't know, the fourth tournament that the FedEx Cup plays points into and saying like, oh, if so-and-so can just hit this birdie, he's going to bump up his FedEx status. and He's going to be right in that top five. Like, oh, my God. Like, no one's saying that because no one really cares. Everyone cares just winning that tournament. So I, it's... 
I think you lose some of the thrill of golf. You'll probably get golf fans who, you know, sort of hardcore golf fans who might disagree with that a little bit. And I do understand that as the FedEx, as the cut occurs for the FedEx Cup, they do start to talk about, well, this player needs to, you know, birdie birdie on the final two holes to make the cut and make the next stage of the FedEx Cup. You do kind of get that discussion. What I would agree with you definitely is anyone who says they really care about the FedEx Cup, try and tell me who won the last five FedEx Cups. And if, you, if, you're, if you're struggling to do that, then it's an indication. If at the same time you could tell me the last major winners, you know, who won the Open the last few times, who won the Masters the last few times, then it kind of tells you where the FedEx Cup stands within golf. It's a great, it's, it's a good way of making some tournaments that otherwise would get no interest, a little bit more interest. Obviously, from the golfer's perspective, it's a huge payday, but it's not particularly interesting for me as a spectator. But it's, you know, golf isn't the first and, sport to go through. Go ahead. Well, as I say, I also think like part of what makes golf and golfers exciting to watch is that element of kind of who's a big time performer, like who's a gamer. And you kind of remove that element when it's not, this is the tournament that matters, you know, like this is the masters. This person is going to come up clutch because, you know, they just have ice in their veins. Whereas like, oh, I can't wait to see this player be down two in the final two holes because, you know, he's going to go for it and he, he like he'll be able to handle that. I think that's part of what makes golf so fun is that you get to see these different interactions. I mean, t- obviously, Tiger Woods is that classic example. Part of what made Tiger Woods so great to watch was because not his everyday play, but was like when the game, the match was on the line, you want to see what he's going to do in those final two, three holes. So uh, that takes it away when it's like, we're going to figure out who the best overall well-rounded yearly golfer is. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, playing devil's advocate, I'm sure the Saudi golf league is trying to come up with some kind of interesting spins to get a weekly interest. I mean, I do agree with you though. Take a golfer like Brooks Kepka who kind of week in, week out on the PGA, not overly impressive, but then turns up every once in a while at majors and wins them. And I mean, you can understand from Brooks Kepka's perspective why he has no interest in being involved in this because it really does not suit his game. The idea that he would need to be, you know, consistently churning out good performances for, you know, 16 weeks of the year does not suit his kind of mental approach to the way he plays his game. But yeah, you know, golf is not the first sport to be challenged. Obviously, I mean, we, we dealt with the kind of concept of a breakaway league right in football with the Super League not that long ago. Cricket, cricket's gone through it on multiple occasions. In a sense, the IPL and when those when the 2020 leagues started to spring up in different places in the world, if, you know, the ICC, the, the governing body of cricket at first was pretty opposed to them. There was a lot of talk about if you go and play in the IPL, you can't represent your national team. You know, there was a lot of opposition. They've had that they also had that with Kerry Packer did something similar with in cricket, you know, decades ago. And then you've seen it in tennis where there's these investment funds getting involved. Gerard Piquet is heavily involved in one trying to come up with alternatives to the ATP tour. You know, you can understand why people are looking at these thinking, hey, there's a lot of money here and there's a lot of really high profile names. And if we can get one or two of them to come over by offering them a little bit more money or making them the star of the show in a way that they currently aren't, then we can have a viable business model. So I get why other people are trying to do it, but as a kind of sports purist. I mean, I, I, I get 
I get why Phil Mickelson would want to do it. I mean, for him, he seems like the perfect candidate. He's a still a face of golf, even though he's not much in the finishes, really. I, I mean, he does occasionally have good rounds, but on the whole, no one's going into the U.S. Open saying Phil Mickelson's top three to win this major. You know, he's always going to be an outsider at this point. So for him, he's going to get a ton of money and get to just kind of hang out and relax and just play casual golf in a sense and make a ton of money. And the Saudi Cup is going to have a very recognizable face as their headline. Yeah. I, I mean, I also think for him too, right? If you're, he's probably, you know, whatever the future after golf looks different. If he's, if he's involved as a face of it, the kind of transitional period from player to retirement, he gets, you know, you've got Greg Norman as a CEO. There, there would seem to be a way for him to transition then into the business side of this league and probably making even more money without even having to play the game of golf. So I, I agree with you. It seems to me if you're going to really pin, you know, pin your colors to a particular golfer to try and be the face of the league and drive that level of interest from the general public. Whilst you're right, Phil Mickelson, very recognizable just because he is older and isn't winning things. You know, like if you've got Tiger Woods, you're made straight away, you're made. And I think there is a number of other players who, if you could bring them on board, even Rory McIlroy, I think just because people, you know, do have a level of, it's just tough. I mean, aside from Tiger Woods though, it's really hard to think of who is the golfer who, if he says yes, you're, you're guaranteed to be a success. It's like, okay, Bryson DeChambeau goes there. Everyone then tells themselves they kind of hate him anyway and good riddance, you know. Everyone else leaves. Even if Roy, if I switch on what I just said, Rory McIlroy goes there. People go, okay, Rory McIlroy gets a lot of top 10, top five finishes, but he doesn't win big tournaments anymore, really. You know, there's all these players you kind of pick holes in. Well, okay, of course he's gone. Unless you either got Tiger Woods or like eight of the top 10. I don't really see how you suddenly make the general public stop paying attention to the PGA and those major events and instead watch the Saturday. Also, the time zone seems a little bit of a nightmare for me. I mean, I don't know how. I guess, again, for the Asian audience, uh, European audience, it's not bad. But you're definitely not going to struggle to get American eyeballs on tournaments that are, you know, people are teeing off at like 4 a.m. in the U.S., yeah, I, that's going to be really strange. Um, and then they're going to have to do the stupid delay that no one wants to watch. <laughs> uh, but yeah, s- speaking of golf, I'm actually going to the uh, Champions Tour this week. It's going to be in Tucson, the Colo Guard Classic. And I took a look. There's a lot of good golfers that are going to be there. And I actually have, re- I was invited with someone who has really nice passes. So there's a chance I could, you know, maybe. I'll definitely see them play, but might actually be able to meet them, you know, as they're coming off and, and things like that. And kind of because I'm I have to imagine the Champions Tour, which used to be the seniors tour, is a pretty relaxed environment. And I I can really picture golfers coming off the course and they're just going and having a beer at the bar and relaxing a little. It seems pretty low key. <laughs> I think it probably depends because I think what's always interesting when you do look at the Champions Tour, you a have those dominant the, the, the select few who kind of dominate like Bernard Bernard Langer dominates. I feel like every time Bernard I'm, Langer will be here, he just kind of dominates for what I, you know, like he's, yeah. then you have those host of players who I think you're probably right are just treating it as, Hey, this is a little bit of fun. Maybe I can make an extra bit of money. It's kind of something to do. It keeps my sponsors 
kind of interested in me, even in this role. I get some speaking opportunities because I'm sure there's businesses playing, paying for them over the weekend to talk yeah. to, you know, like IBM that's getting, you know, Colin Montgomery to talk to some salespeople or something at some point. But there's the other group of golfers who did not have very successful PGA careers who where this is actually their shot at glory and probably making more money now than they did when they were 30 years old. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, just some of the players that will be there, uh, Mark Kaklovecchia, Darren Clark, Fred Couples, John Daly, um, Ernie Els, Steve Flesh, Fred Funk, Jim Furyk, uh, Hale Irwin, Lee Jansen, Miguel Angel uh, Jimenez, um, Bernard Langer, uh, Scotty McCarron, uh, Colin Montgomery, Mark O'Mara, Corey Pavin. Well, just, so, just remember to John, John Smoltz, John Smoltz has made the champions tour. The pitcher. <laughs> yes. Wait, oh no, yes. legitimately not just the same name. No, just... I mean, it, it looks, it it has to be him. It looks very much like John Smoltz. Either this is the best doppelganger who then changed his name to John Smoltz, or, it's, yeah. or it is legitimately John Smoltz. Just uh, if you see Colin Montgomery, just remember to compliment his tits. Well, I guess uh, for next week, then we'll be listeners can can look forward to hearing your hearing about your experiences on the Champions Tour. You're giving us one week. You're giving us semi-pro roller hockey. The next. Uh, watching retired golfers play their final few rounds. It's going to be <laughs> yeah. the content. Never Maybe stops. I can jump in. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Make sure to wear your golf outfit. I'll put, I'll bring my clubs and I'll keep them there just in case they need someone to step in. <laughs> yeah. You never know. My, one of them might throw out their back, you know, a few of them are 60, 70 plus. It's always, always I was say, I'm sure most of them have thrown out their back at some point. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing that would be impressive is just to see how good they still are. I always think that golf is the sport where I think people underappreciate just how skillful. I know based on, I did see, you know how I claim, I think I could immediately become an Olympic curler. Um, GQ, not to give a plug to something else, but GQ to this YouTube series called Average Joe. It's actually pretty good where they get this guy to try and see how quickly he can like how challenging it is for him to try and play a sport at a somewhat professional level. Sometimes the tests they do are a little bit stupid. Like the quarterback test to see if he could be an NFL quarterback was him throwing like four different routes and seeing if he could make the throws, which is, I mean, I know they're not going to throw him in in a game, but it didn't seem like the best way to test it. But they did set him up with the U.S. men's Olympic uh, curling team and then give him a couple hours to practice curling and then see how it goes. And he didn't embarrass himself. I would say the take his takeaway from it is, Hey, it's harder than it looks. My takeaway from it was you don't seem like the most athletically gifted person in the first place based on all the other videos of you I've watched and compared with the other sports you tried to do, this is the closest you came to kind of looking like you should be out there. So whilst it might be harder <laughs> Plus, it might be harder than it looks. You definitely look like you were closer to succeeding in curling than you were trying to score a free kick against an uh, international goalkeeper and stuff like that. Yeah. Actually, and then that reminds me of, not to also plug, uh, but Barstool did a, uh, one of their people, I think his name is Caleb 
Caleb Presley, maybe that could be the guy it. who used to be, be a UNC good quarterback. Remember that? Who now wants hair. to be a pro golfer? Yeah, yeah. He's decided he wants to be a pro golfer, so he's like moved to Florida and is just golfing every day in the hopes that I think he said within what two years or a year or something like that he wants to be a pro golfer. <laughs> he doesn't look great. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, look, if you've got a media company willing to like, it's a great i. I mean, there's a lot of negatives surrounding Barstool Sports, but obviously they are creative. And, you know, what David Portnoy has for the most part got right is he's just willing to throw money behind content ideas. And it does make them sort of more creative and original than a lot of the other media outlets are out there. But yeah, look, if there's anyone out there wanting to fund, I'll, I'll try and play any sport professionally. If you want to pay for me to do it for two years, I'll move anywhere in the world and try and <laughs> achieve that goal. Oh, so that is a that big a, statement. I mean, assuming that the money was right, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to be paid tens of millions, but assuming I'm getting proper professional training, access to all of the right you know, facilities that I need, and also making money for myself at the same time, why wouldn't you? Speaking of curling, Eddie, the Winter Olympics has officially ended. Did you watch the thrilling closing ceremonies we talked about how how hyped up the the opening ceremonies are i will say the closing ceremonies i don't think anyone cares about (laughs) i don't know why they even have them (laughs) well if part of it right is they hand over to the next olympics and stuff there's like that ceremonial transition okay well you can do that without having to do like a (laughs) 20 minute ice dance routine with with like all these different colors and music. And it was, I watched two minutes of it. I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It was two minutes more than I watched. Although I did see, right. The head of the IOC made some appeal for world peace. I think something like that on a very relevant topic for us, obviously having just had uh, our Johnny FD guest on to talk about the situation in Ukraine. He told us there was no way there was going to be war a couple days later, troops on the ground in Eastern Ukraine, but not to laugh at the situation there, but I'm, I'm not sure that that prediction looks the 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 accusation that Western media and politicians were blowing the situation out of proportion. Now that uh, Putin has recognized those Eastern territories in Ukraine as being independent and put troops on the ground, I think Johnny FD might be needing to look for a new location. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in, in all seriousness, though, I hope he does. Hope he is all right, and uh, if he has to get out, that he can get out. Um, because, yeah. yeah, he he did not seem overly worried when we interviewed him. But uh, I mean, things have seemed to escalate a little, no, a and little bit more than when we first talked to him. So, yeah. And now here's a topic that um, that you and I have not discussed this, but and I, I have to take full responsibility because Johnny FD was kind of uh, my land as a guest in a as a YouTuber that I was sort of somewhat familiar with. Um, after the promotion of our episode has taken place, uh, a few subreddits have maybe uh, thrown a little bit of criticism our way on the basis that uh, Johnny FD might have had a spicier past than we were aware of over the course of our interview. Uh, turns out he, um, some accusations, and I will say these are, well, let's call them allegations, uh, and not coming from the Big Chill podcast or from Frank or, from Frank or myself, but that um, he might be more of a, a, a sex tourist than a global nomad. And that uh, he was part of a pickup artist movement in the, uh, which is uh, some people have actually 
made a number of YouTube videos about the pickup artist movement that he was a part of, but previously going under the moniker Johnny Wolf, not Johnny FD. Um, feel free for any listeners to go on YouTube and search for Johnny Wolf. You will find the videos. It is definitely him uh, appearing at pickup artist conferences, encouraging men, trying to teaching them the ways of easily picking up girls. So the, the feedback into the interview itself has been mostly positive, but there were some questions from people out there, listeners out there asking that maybe we should have vetted him a little bit more closely, but there's no like awful accusations or allegations out there, but just that maybe a little sleazy. Wow. Thanks, Eddie. Good good job in vetting the guests. <laughs> hey, look, I think we got to give us credit. I don't know if a lot of podcasts would immediately address it like that. I just wanted to put it out there, put you know, all of our cards on the table. We were unaware. In no way are we endorsing any pickup artist conferences out there. Uh, certainly not part of the Big Chill podcast business model, but... You know, um, so just to be clear, we're not talking about Johnny Wolf, the 2006 men's basketball player for on Xavier, are we? The six two sophomore from Cincinnati, Ohio. Let's let's get him on. <laughs> Maybe let's try. I'll reach the... out to the real Johnny Wolf. Yeah. Did you know Johnny FD's <laughs> taking your name and is really making you look bad? Let's get you on to talk basketball. But look, we're safe. Listeners might make Johnny FD aware of the fact. And look, you know, I we I enjoyed our conversation with him. Um, he also appeared on Russia Today to discuss the situation in Ukraine. So I like that the two media outlets he's made appearances on to talk about the situation in Ukraine, Russia Today and the Big Chill Podcast. I don't know if this, are we the alternative to Russia Today or are people going to think that we're also part of Putin's media propaganda arm? This might be, this might be our new, may we're going to get a spike in Russian listeners, which I actually kind of saw that we already did have today. So uh, significant increase <laughs> in our lust, Russian listenership. So one step oh, in boy. the right direction. And now back to sports. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I'm in like an awkward morning news program. <laughs> so there's been a crash of the 405 and the Phoenix Suns <laughs> won a thriller in overtime. <laughs> More from that from you're Frank driving down I eighty. It's yeah. all clear. <laughs> Actually, I have one topic, a pretty random one. Uh, so it was the NBA All Star Game this weekend, or All Star Weekend, I guess I should say. Um, another All Star Game that's super boring, right? That no one I mean, really cares about. They don't play defense. I don't see the point. It's like well. 180 to one, whatever it finished up, 162, 161, something like that. I mean, they just, they it's don't It's first to 163. I yeah. think that's what it was, right? Oh, yeah. They don't close anyone down. There's just people shooting wide yeah. open shots. There's just no point to it. Yeah. So they did, um, it's their 75th year of the NBA. So during that weekend, they released their um, 75th anniversary team. So the top 75 best players in NBA history. They did not rank them. They just released the names. But ESPN took the controversy one step further and ranked them. Do you want to take a guess at what they ranked their top five? I'll take a guess. I think I saw who number one and number two were. I think I saw that Jordan was one and LeBron was two. I think Jordan I was one, number. LeBron was two. Yeah. I, and before I make my guesses, this is actually one of those things that made me feel really old 
because I remember when the NBA had its 50th anniversary celebration and did the same premise of the top 50 players from the first 50 years. And I can remember that really clearly. So the moment when I realized that I had a strong recollection of an anniversary 25 years ago, it was like, oh, I'm, I am starting to get up there. But um, okay, so number three, I'm going to say is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Number four, I'll say is Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson is number four. And number five, oh, this is a tricky one. I'll say Julius Irving, number five. Nope. Julius Irving, I think, was number like 12. Wilt Chamberlain? No, he wasn't. 14. Uh, Yes, Wilt Chamberlain, number five. Damn, I could have got the clean sweep there. Should have thought of. That was close. And then Bill Russell, six. Larry Bird, seven. Tim Duncan, eight. Oscar Robinson, nine. And Kobe Bryant, 10, just beating out Shaq. It's, I mean, it's, I, I kind of like it. I, I do think it's – the thing that annoys me about it is people lose their minds. I know when they released the seven, the top 75 list, people lost their minds debating it. And the reality is they have to make one decision, which is these are clearly not the best pure like pure players from the last 75 years. Because if you do that, you're just going to pick people from the last 25, 30. Like no one from year one of the NBA is making the top 75 all-time greatest players on like basketball skills alone. Some guy who, you know, is like drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette right before a tip off and probably, you know, like practice an hour a week is not going to kind of, you know, suddenly be posting up against Shaq. So I, I think there's there's the reality there that they have to try and think of how good you were relative to your era and the contribution you yeah. made to the advancement of basketball and professional basketball in the NBA as a whole. So there were people who were losing their minds kind of saying, are you really telling me like Clay Thompson got snubbed? People were like, Clay Thompson's one of the greatest shooters of all time. How is he not in the top 75? It's like, well, he's not in the top five. He's not even top three, five right now. Right now. So of his generation. Even, yeah. Yeah. It's like, he's not even the best player on his own team. We're going to put him in the 75 greatest players of all time. Like, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough one for me. Yeah, I agree. And what's, what's interesting is five out of the 10, uh, all played for the Lakers, and I don't know if you've seen. There's the Winning Time show on HBO is coming out next month. Looks very good, and uh, from what I've heard, it, it people have seen it and said it's really, really good. So that'll be an interesting thing, and maybe we can watch that and discuss, you know, a few episodes or something like that, or at least yeah, discuss probably, the season maybe at the probably end. Probably better than the probably better than the Mighty Ducks for our listeners, particularly those in Europe who might be unfamiliar. It's the story of the kind of Showtime Lakers, so the era that 1980s Lakers when they were winning titles and Magic Johnson was in his prime. So the kind of story all about that. And obviously, yeah. Yeah. It was originally going to be called Showtime, but then they couldn't call it Showtime because of the channel Showtime. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, it's true because yeah. it's on HBO and, and Showtime is like HBO's main rival or back in the early thousands it was. I, I did like that there are... Speaking of the top 10 playing for the Lakers, there's some rumors that LeBron James might be leaving the Lakers considering how bad they are. And there possibility he kind of made certain hints over the course of the weekend with obviously the all-star game being in Cleveland that a return to Cleveland could be on the cards for him, a third stint in Cleveland, given the fact that their team seems pretty good at the moment. And 
LeBron James could go glory hunting one final time and return oh, home. Oh, God. The returning king who abandons them every once in a while, but then comes back for the glory. Yeah. Homeward bound three. Yeah. <laughs> the other, my only other takeaway from the NBA's All-Star Weekend, the over-the-top love for the fact that Steph Curry turns its back sometimes after shooting threes and how mind-blown people seem to be by this. Steph Curry's shooting is incredible. The shots that he makes, the places he takes his shots from, like the speed of his release, all of that stuff, it is absolutely insane. The crazy part is not that he sometimes turns his back after releasing and completing his follow-through. And people treat it as if, how does he know that he goes in? Anyone who's played sport at any reasonable level knows that there's moments when like if you shoot a basketball or if you kick something or you throw something, you can kind of instantly feel that was pretty good. Like I got a chance on that one. So to think that Steph Curry, the moment it leaves his hand, doesn't kind of know that one's that felt good and can turn around. People are like, oh my God, this is insane. That bit kind of annoyed me and it's nonstop. It's also <laughs> just, he does it too much now. He did it multiple times during the All-Star game. We get it, but... Good for him. I mean, the shots, the shot making, incredible. I don't need the turning around after you release it. What, what a real fork. That's a fork move. It is a real fork. That's a move. fork fan yeah. that appreciates that. Yeah. I, speaking randomly, I, I was at a seminar the other day and someone called themselves the Steph Curry of microbiology. <laughs> and I really wanted to stand up and say, we have a special term for Steph Curry <laughs> on our podcast. Also, what does that even mean? Um, I could get called. I don't know. Like the, if you call yourself like the Michael Jordan or the Tiger Woods, you're saying that you're you're like the greatest of all time, right? Like I can kind of understand what you're meaning. If you call yourself the Steph Curry, is he just shooting a shot from deep downtown in microbiology? Like, yeah, no. So I think I think what he was trying to say was that Steph Curry just is like very repetitive, where he'll just take shot after shot after shot. Um, and do like, you know, he's like a thousand of the same shots in practice. And that's kind of what he does is he, the way he teaches is he just is constantly putting it up and putting it up and trying to help students retain the information more. So he calls himself the Steph Curry of microbiology, which it's, it's not a good, no matter what way you try and sell it. It's not good. Did he look like the kind of guy who should be calling himself the Steph Curry of anything? (laughs) No. No. All right. All right. Hopefully he listens. Um, let's tag him. But uh, <laughs> hey, got some feedback on that recent public speaking stint you did. Man. And I guess transitioning a little bit too from, I guess, one notable sports story from the last week with the situation in Ukraine escalating as it is, it looks the, the Champions League final is supposed to be being played in St. Petersburg this year. All indications point to the fact that uh, UEFA will move the Champions League final away from St. Petersburg as a result of the situation in the region. Just to the highest bidder, I'm sure. Knowing UEFA. Probably (laughs) Qatar, you know. But yeah, no, I mean, it, it will definitely cause a host of issues. You know, you have... Uh, Dynamo Kiev, who are part of, you know, who are who have versions of their teams playing in uh, European competition. You also have uh, Zenit Saint 
so they, their youth team is still in the UEFA Youth League. And then you have Zenit St. Petersburg, who are still in the Europa League. Uh, so you this could kind of, and Ukraine and Russia are also scheduled, you know, they have World Cup qualifiers to play over the coming months. So from UEFA's perspective, this, not that they are the most concerned or affected by this, but it could be a real headache for them. Yeah, I can, I wonder if it's going to turn out to be one of those things where it ends up being at like Real Madrid or something like some crazy unfair situation where a team just has a, a great home field advantage. Yeah. I mean, there'll be a lot of teams. I mean, anyone having to travel to like Zenit, for example, they'll be delighted if they have to move that game because one of the big downsides, obviously, it's just how far that is as a trip. So, you know, Zenit will be upset. And I think that's going to be the, the difficult thing for UEFA to navigate. Is they're going to be in a situation where Zenit St. Petersburg probably won't want to move the game. Russia will not want to move their home games in World Cup qualifiers anywhere else. Even Ukraine might not want to. So you'll be in a situation where then the onus gets put on the the traveling team for them to come out and take the risk of, we're willing to forfeit this game, but we're not willing to travel to this area where we think there's added risks. It'll be interesting to see how UEFA handles that because that could get complicated very fast. And then speaking of, I guess, complicated sports stories from the week, the uh, U.S. women's national team. Oh, boy. And Eddie's favorite topic. (laughs) A topic that has been extensively discussed on the podcast in previous episodes. It appears as if they may have reached some sort of a resolution over their equal pay dispute as they have uh, reached an agreement with U.S. soccer. Uh, The players will receive $24 million dollars. Uh, to as a as a payment to twenty two million and then another two for charities. Okay. What? How generous of them? See, I I actually think that would have been a powerful move on their part if they'd said, "Hey, look, actually, you know what? Give all the money to a charity. We're you know we've made we've made good money. We have our sponsorship deals. We're not you know we're none of us are homeless." We've all been able to make money away from just the national team as well. And look, I'm not turning down money is hard for anyone. And I know that they're not making such astronomical sums of money where it is easy to do. You know, I probably wouldn't, but it would have been a good move on their part from a PR perspective to say, hey, look, you've recognized the fact that we should have been paid more, but we want to give all of that money to charities that helps other people overcome similar challenges. Yeah, because I think at the end of the day, if I read it correctly, each player will can get up to fifty thousand. So it's not as as if even the players are getting a substantial amount. But I, I don't know what the rest of that money then is going to. I'm I'm sure it is. Maybe it's going to lower lower down in terms of staff and and um, people like that who are probably the most underpaid, probably way more than the players. I'm I'm sure the staff of the women's national team is highly underpaid compared to the men's. You know, talking about like trainers and, and equipment managers and things like that. Yeah, I mean, those will be the people who are really most affected by this kind of thing, right? Because they don't have the earning power of the players away from the national team, be that playing for club teams or in the sponsorship deals that they're able to agree. So, yeah, you're the physio and you're you know being paid a fifth of what the physio for the men's team is being paid. That's a real life changer versus, you know, people who are able to earn good sums of money from in, in other ways. Now, speaking of regular podcast topics, I don't know if you saw, you know, tennis podcast favorite, Alex 
well, Sasha Zverev broke, was part of a world record-breaking tennis match last night. He, with the latest ever finish in an ATP tour event in his match against Jensen Brooksby. The match like finished, local time? Local time, yeah. So the match finished at 4.55 a.m. local time, which is the latest. When did it start? So it started, I'm not sure exactly. Oh, it didn't get underway till 1.35 a.m. Oh, my God. Yeah. Is there a delay? Um, No, but you know, a lot of these U.S. Oh, there was just a siesta. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll let you take the flack for that one. But a lot of these U.S. and, you know, North American events do have later uh, time starts, so it's not it's not that unusual to have a game uh, match starting at that time. But yeah, they broke the so started at one thirty five and went the the and it, we're only talking about a three set match here, right? So it's not like you're playing in the U.S. Open and you've gone late deep into a fifth setter. But the the third and final set took one hour and fifty one minutes to be played, being decided. Uh, yeah, six two, which is the Sorry, the second set, I should say. The second set was 7-6, 12-10 in a tiebreak was the long the long set. But yeah, it broke the previous record, which had been set at the Australian Open in 2008 when Leighton Hewitt had beaten Marcos Bagdadis, and that match had finished at 4.35 in the morning local time. Wow, also really late. Yeah. So just barely beat it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. Minutes. Yeah. I guess if you kind of know that it's going to start that late, though, you know, we just take, a, I mean, not to, you know, I was saying take, you know, taking a siesta, but in all seriousness, I'm sure you probably take literally like a nap from eight to 11, you know, <laughs> and then, and then just get up and play. <laughs> yeah. And you might even say, I mean, Brooksby is an American player, I think, but Zverev, you know, if you've, if he's been based in Europe recently, then that transition, you kind of, you're still playing in a European time zone. And if, if anything, it might help with your jet lag and that adjustment because, you know, that's finishing a game at 10 o'clock in the night in Europe. So it's not quite so bad. So in some respects, yeah. I mean, the, the killer, which is always the case in tennis tournaments with stuff like that, the real killer is what time is his next, his following match. So do you finish at 4.55 in the morning one day and then, you know, your next game starts at, you know, seven in the evening and you have to do not necessarily the next day, but still in terms of adjusting your body clock. If you're not, if there's no consistency there, that could be the real issue. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, I don't know if you have any other topics, but you know, we have another interview coming up next episode. So that'll be fun. And I think it's going to be a very interesting interview. We have a Australian mountain biker. So that'll be a unique one for us and kind of a good learning experience, I think for, for cycling and training and, and all of that. So stay tuned. Yeah. And another YouTuber coming up in the not so distant future. And I will ensure that I vet him more closely <laughs> than when he's on. I'll make sure we will ask him whether or not he is tied to any, uh, pickup artist conferences in the past. I think it's unlikely, but we'll ask him as well. But now that's, that's it all for right. me for the week. Yeah, me too. All right, I'll talk to you later. Yeah.